0: 38 uh, to verse 45, Uh, that's page 978 in the Church Bibles and 1519 in the Large Print Bibles. So as we're looking at Matthew's Gospel here, uh, it's worth just uh, explaining at the very beginning what the point of Matthew's Gospel is. The point of Matthew's Gospel is to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is God's chosen king who has come, as Matthew says in chapter 1 and verse 21, to save his people from their sins. And throughout Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been claiming and Jesus has been showing that he is the Messiah. But the world around Jesus and the world today teach other things. That Jesus is not God. He might be other things perhaps, but he definitely is not God among us. They may say he's a good teacher, Or all sorts of other things, but surely not God among us. Surely not one who would demand that we follow him with our whole lives, who we must submit to with everything we have in order to have eternal life through his death on the cross. Well, some people think that Jesus' message and who he claims to be is, is dangerous. Some people hate him even if they don't believe in him. And the Pharisees were ones who fell into that last camp. They hated Jesus. They hated him because he turned their world upside down. He told them that the way that they felt that they could gain eternal life through their good works was totally wrong. They had to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Messiah. And that's the context behind the question in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Look at the question that the Pharisees say. Or rather uh, than asking a question, they make a demand of him. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. Now what would you want as your sign? What would, what would Jesus have to do so that you would say, now I believe? Because the Pharisees were asking for a sign and lots of people today would love God to give them a sign, wouldn't they? To show that he is real. To show that Jesus is who he says he is. Some people want a, a ridiculous sign. So if I could fly... And God would give me that superpower, then, well, then I'd believe in God. Some people have want a perhaps a very sincere sign. If there was no more sickness, if all of that went away, and everyone was was well and happy and there was no war, well, then I would believe that there is a God. Some people want a scientific sign. Well, if God had carved his name into the atoms or something like that. And there was verifiable evidence there that proved he exists. Well, then that's my sign. Then then I would believe. Many people all have their own signs that they say would make them believe. But the problem is that people want signs, but they want their own signs. One uh, writer says this People want signs that God exists. And that Jesus is Lord, but they always want their signs rather than the ones God provides. People want their own signs. And when they speak about wanting a sign, they they speak as as if God hasn't provided one. As if God hasn't shown that he exists. As if God hasn't shown that Jesus Christ is Lord. God doesn't have to reveal himself to us, does he? God could leave us in ignorance and he would be perfectly right to do so. But in the amazing grace of God, he hasn't left us in ignorance. He has provided a sign. In the Old Testament, the prophets spoke in, at various times and in various ways. But in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 12, as the Pharisees ask for a sign, Jesus shows us the greatest sign. So let's look at what Jesus says about this great sign in Matthew chapter 12. So then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is God's Word. Well, in verse 38, the Pharisees are asking for a sign. And you may be uh, wondering, well, why are they asking for a sign? When we know that Jesus has been performing miracles. He's calmed the storm. He has raised the dead. He has healed the sick. He has spoke with authority. Why is it they're asking for a sign when Jesus has already provided loads of signs, you might say? Well, the Pharisees have just said in the passage before the one we've read... Well, we've seen the signs, Jesus, but we believe that those things are from the devil. They weren't looking for a sign that Jesus chose. They wanted something special. They wanted something just for them. Their own sign. Such as, I would love to fly, or I would love you to heal all the sick, or I want a scientific sign. They wanted their own special sign. In fact, a clue as to what they want is found a few pages on in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 1 to 4. Uh, You don't need to turn there, I'll show the uh, verses on the screen. But this is an incident which was a repeat of the one that we're reading today. They're asking for a sign. And Jesus replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. In Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees in verse 1 were asking for a sign from heaven. A sign from heaven, or the heavens. They wanted to see a sign from the sky. Something special. Not something that Jesus has already done, something that is up there that, that we can see. Now, in the Old Testament, God did give signs in this way. Uh, Moses had his staff turned into a snake. Uh, Gideon had his fleece. And Hezekiah, well, he had a sign from the sky, didn't he? he the sun, uh, where the shadows went backwards uh, for Hezekiah. It's not wrong necessarily to have signs from God, but the Pharisees wanted their sign in their way. They were wanting Jesus to perform for themselves. And they didn't expect Jesus to do it, and they had no intention at all of believing in him. No intention of believing that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. And at the end of verse 39, having seen all uh, that Jesus had done, all that he said, all that he's done, to ask for a sign was actually a sign of their wickedness and adultery. That's what Jesus means at the end of verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, Jesus says. They are wicked because they're imposing their rules on God. They were telling God how to reveal himself. And they were adulterous because they worshipped not God, but man-made rules and a sign-seeking religion. They weren't interested in what Jesus was saying and doing. They wanted their own sign. They were wicked. They were adulterous. But in God's amazing grace, he gives them a sign. Look at the end of verse 39. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. They are a wicked and adulterous generation. They don't deserve any sign at all, but Jesus doesn't just leave them, he tells them a sign. Here's a sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jonah was a sign, a signpost pointing to Jesus. And the sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is the sign. So you may know the story of Jonah. We read part of it in our Bible reading. But Jonah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. And he was called by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of the mighty Assyrian Empire. And he was told to go there and tell them to repent of their sin because judgment is coming. But Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He uh, either because he was frightened of the, the 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 powerful Assyrian Empire, or more likely, he was a proud Jewish man who had no uh, no one in, in no way wanted to see pagans converted. He did not want to go there, and so he went in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. He got on a boat at Joppa, and there was a great storm that God sent on the ship because of Jonah's disobedience. And the, the people in the boat were terrified. They cried out to their gods. But Jonah was oblivious that he was asleep. They woke him up. They, asked, they told him to cry out to his God. They asked him who he was. And he told them that he was a, a Jew, a follower of the, the, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the seas. And he told them that in order for the storm to stop, they would have to throw him into the sea. They didn't want to do it, they, were, they, were, they were, were scared to do that, but in the end they did. They threw him into the sea, and Jonah, as far as they were concerned, was dead. He was in the sea. But after three days and three nights, Jonah is vomited back onto dry land. And Jesus tells us here that Jonah, that story of Jonah, points to himself. Now Jonah and Jesus are very different characters. Jesus isn't saying here that uh, me and Jonah are exactly alike. They're not. They're very different. But Jesus is saying that what happens to Jonah is a, a signpost that points to me. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was used by God to save the sailors from the storm of God's wrath. In that boat by being thrown overboard and then Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights before being spectacularly delivered. The deliverance of Jonah from the fish authenticated the message that he had both to himself and to the Ninevites that the Lord means what he says. And so in verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Listen to how he described being in the belly. This was uh, part of his prayer in chapter 2. He says, From deep in the realm of the dead... I called for help you hurled me into the very heart of the sea you Lord my God brought my life up from the pit Jonah saw himself as dead the realm of the dead the heart of the sea the pit he was dead Jonah saw himself as dead in that fish with no way of escape. But after three days and three nights, the Lord commanded the fish to vomit him out onto the land. How does this point to Christ? Well, Jesus Christ, who dies on the cross to save us from the storm of God's wrath, is buried in the heart, he says here, of the earth. Not the sea, but the earth. And after three days and three nights, after being in the realm of the dead, Jesus rises again. Jesus looked as if there was no hope as he's dead, but he rises from the dead. And Jesus says that will be the sign. A deliverance from death where there seems to be no hope at all. That's the sign. The sign of the prophet Jonah. And of course that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? The Pharisees were told what would happen so that Jesus Christ, his person, and his message would be authenticated. It is true because he is risen from the dead. But we have the privilege of looking back at the sign. The Pharisees were told this is what's going to happen, but we look back. We look at that sign of Jonah. We look at the empty tomb and we look and say, he died on the cross. He died For my sin, he took the full wrath of God that I deserve for my sin on the cross. He died for me. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. Now Jesus and Jonah are not exact parallels as people. In fact, Jesus in in a moment goes on to say that he is greater than Jonah And he is Jonah's opposite in many ways. But as Jonah's deliverance from death was a sign in his day, so Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the sign, the greatest and the final sign for us that he is the Messiah. That he is the one who will save us from our sins. There is no other sign that we need. We don't need to to say, well, if I could fly or if I could do this or if this happened... Every time we say that, the Bible just tells us, no, look at the empty tomb. There it is. That's the sign. We don't need anything else. That shows us that he is the Messiah. Just as an aside, some of you uh, may be thinking, uh, because uh, books written on this, uh, talk of this a lot, that uh, Jonah was in the, the belly of the fish three days and three nights, And you might be saying, well, Jesus wasn't in the grave three days and three nights. And is this, is the Bible right in what's going on here? Uh, The Bible is not wrong here. It doesn't contradict itself. Uh, When the Jews uh, were uh, in their timekeeping, the way that they, they looked at things was if something happened on one day, it happened on the whole day. So he died on the Friday, regardless of what time that was, it was day one. He was buried uh, on the uh, he, he was in the grave on the Saturday. That was day two. He rose again on the third day. So, even though Jesus wasn't 24 hours in the, in the grave, the point being made here is he rose again on the third day. The sign of Jonah, what happened to him, points forward to Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is a historical event that changes everything. And all of us who are Christians put our faith in Christ because he is risen from the dead. There is no other uh, person or philosophy or anything else that you can trust for life after death. Even atheism is putting your faith in nothing, isn't it? But we look at Jesus and he's risen again. He's died and he has rose from the dead and so we put our faith for our eternal life... In an eternal God who has come and who has died and who has risen. Uh, the, the resurrection is, is the central tenet of our faith. That event that happened. Uh, if you're wondering, well, what evidence is there for it, there's a couple of resources I, I can recommend to you. Uh, one is a, a more of a longer read. Uh, some of you uh, have read this, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That's an excellent book. Uh, gives a really detailed account of the evidence for the resurrection, answering all sorts of objections. But a much shorter read uh, is this uh, uh, small uh, booklet here called Evidence for the Resurrection. Uh, highly recommended, very easy to read, um, nice and colourful and glossy. Uh, and it gives you really good evidence for the resurrection. Just helps you in your faith to, to realise that what you believe isn't just a fairy story. This is a, a reality, and because it's real, the implications are huge for us, aren't they? So if you want to, I, I can, we can order the case for Christ, you can borrow the case for Christ. Uh, this is Tim's copy, you might be able to borrow it, you have to ask him, but we can definitely order you some uh, that would help you uh, to see the evidence and the, the reality uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't need another sign. You don't need anything else to happen. He is risen from the dead. That is the sign. That's the first point that uh, Jesus is making here. And because that is the sign, because that really happened, the second point that Jesus goes on to make is that there is no excuse for rejecting the sign. There is no excuse for rejecting the sign. And Jesus gives two examples of people who have responded rightly to God, even though they've had far lesser signs than what we have and what the Pharisees had when Jesus rose from the dead. He gives two examples. The first is found in verse 41. The men of Nineveh, this is the example, will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. So in this first example, he carries on the story of Jonah. After Jonah uh, had been uh, puked up on the side of the, the shore, uh, he then goes to Nineveh and he preaches uh, at Nineveh, repent, you've got 40 days uh, to, to turn from your sin and to worship God, otherwise you're going to be destroyed. And Jonah, in chapter 3 in verses 3 to 5, Uh, explains what happened. Let me show you uh, what happened as we look at Jonah chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least, Put on sackcloth. That was a sign of mourning. And so Jesus is referring to this in verse 41. Jonah preached to the Ninevites. He told them that they are going to be judged and they believed God. And from the greatest, that is the king of the city, right down to the least, they repented of their sin. 120,000 people in that city and they turned to God and they believed Those people of Nineveh were not Jewish. They hadn't had the the benefits of God's revelation throughout their history. They hadn't had priests and prophets and kings who were able to tell them about God and and show them. And Jonah comes and he preaches this message and they repent dramatically and they were saved from destruction. And Jesus says at the judgment they're going to rise and condemn you. Well, what is the judgment? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the judgment here means the end of time when God will judge us according to how we respond to his revelation of Christ. When we die and we face God, how we are judged, first of all, is how we have responded to Jesus. And we either go to heaven or to hell based on how we respond to Jesus. And Jesus says, on that day, on the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh, they're going to stand up and they're going to condemn this generation because they're going to say, you know, we had Jonah and he came and he preached to us and we repented. But you've had Jesus, God among you, who died and is risen from the dead and you didn't believe. How on earth can you not believe, they would say, on that day? Jesus is a greater Jonah. He has a, he's a greater prophet. He is sinless. He actually loved the people he was preaching to. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He had a greater message, which is the kingdom of God is coming because the Messiah is here. And he had a greater sign. His resurrection, not from the mouth of a fish, but from the dead itself. And the people of Nineveh will condemn this generation and they'll condemn our generation too. Because we have Christ who is risen from the dead. Far greater than what they had. Well, in verse 42, Jesus reinforces this point with another example. He looks at the Queen of the South. Look at verse 42. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Well, the Queen of the South is also known in the Old Testament as the Queen of Sheba. Uh, She was another non-Jewish woman, or a non-Jewish person, uh, responding positively to God's revelation of himself through King Solomon. She wasn't a Jew, She was a woman, which at this particular time with the Pharisees would have meant that she was a second-class citizen to them. And so it was amazing that she, this non-Jewish woman from hundreds of miles away from where Solomon was, would travel all that distance to hear Solomon. Well, let's uh, read what happened with the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cup bearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Notice her response. She goes to see Solomon. She hears about him from far away, travels hundreds of miles to go and see him. And at this time, Solomon on his throne was was, uh, the way that God was revealing himself to his people. He was speaking through Solomon in his life. And in verse 9 there of chapter 10, she praises God. She praises him and delights In the fact that he has put Solomon on this throne. And she recognises the greatness of God. And the righteousness of God through Solomon. And so Jesus says she is going to stand. And condemn this generation at the judgment. Why? Because something greater even than Solomon is here. Jesus. Solomon was a sign. He was a sign of God's a revelation of God of who God is but Jesus is even greater because Jesus is risen from the dead you see the Ninevites the queen of the south they responded at a far lesser revelation than Jesus and if we do not respond to Jesus they're going to rise up and they're going to say i can't believe you didn't respond how did you not You had Jesus. There's no excuse for rejecting the sign. Three times, by the way, in this chapter of Matthew, Jesus has said he is greater than something. In the Old Testament, God uh, revealed himself to people through three three primary groups, his prophets, his priests, and his kings. And in verse 6 of this chapter, Jesus says he's Greater than the priests when he says he's greater than the temple. Here we've seen he's greater than the prophets when he says he's greater than Jonah. And then he's greater than the kings when he says he's greater than Solomon. Jesus is the final and the complete and the greatest revelation from God. There is no other sign that God could give you to make you believe other than the sign of himself... That he is given in Christ. There is no excuse for not trusting in him. No excuse whatsoever. Because Jesus is the Messiah who is risen from the dead. So how then should we respond? There's no excuse, but how should we respond? Well, we should respond like the people of Nineveh. We should recognise the extent of our sin... And we should confess our sin to God and repent of it. That means to turn away from our sin and follow Jesus. It means that we must trust in what he has done on the cross to pay for our sin. And believe that he has risen from the dead to show that that sacrifice has paid the price for our sin. Like the Ninevites. We confess and we repent. But we also respond like the Queen of the South, who came from a far land to seek out Solomon to hear his wisdom. And like her, we too need to seek out Jesus. Seek him in his word and be amazed at who he is and what he has done for us. So that like the Queen of the South, we can say about Jesus, praise be to the Lord our God who has delighted in him and placed him on the throne of Israel. That it, he, he has made Jesus king to maintain justice and righteousness. You see, seek him, praise him, be amazed at who he is. And that's a response that is both in both of those ways, in our repentance and in our seeking that as Christians, we also need to continue to be doing. I mean, how, how the resurrection can just become mundane, can't it? But we should never lose what the Queen of the South had here, that amazement at what God has done in Christ. So the resurrection, then, is the, the great sign. And Jesus is clearly Lord, and so there is no excuse for rejecting him and wanting more signs. But finally, Jesus ends with a warning for those that do reject the sign. In verses 43 to 45, we see that rejecting the sign is deadly. Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees who want a sign of their own, not the sign of Jonah that God is giving them, and to show what they are like Jesus gives this small parable from verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So there's an an impure spirit that lived in a person, but it goes out. And it can't find anywhere to go, so it decides that it's going to come back to the person it left. But when it returns, the person it left has had a, a spring clean, uh, but they haven't put anything else in them and so they are empty and so the spirit returns with seven other spirits to, uh, to, to make the place worse than it was in the first place. Now there isn't any specific... Um, uh, this is a parable that uh, Jesus is saying here. Okay? It's a, a parable, a, a story with a meaning. But what is this meaning? What is Jesus on about in this parable? Well, As a bit of background, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel suffered greatly with idolatry. They would make idols and bow down and worship them. You see that all through, really, up until the end of the time of the kings. Because at the end of the time of the kings, because of their idolatry, Israel, God's people, were taken away into exile. After they were taken into exile, they were allowed, after 70 years, to return to their land. And when they returned and they rebuilt the temple, they worshipped God and they never again really struggled with making idols. It wasn't really a problem for them. But what they did instead, and what the Pharisees show, is that they created, instead of a wooden or metal idol a way of re- a religious way of life that was based on traditions and laws that they had created. The Pharisees had got rid of uh, their, the evil of idolatry. They'd cleansed their house, if you like. But because their idea of clean was external rules, the inside of the house really was empty. And that left them in danger of being overtaken by something worse, even than the idolatry that was there before. What was worse than the idols? Well, what was worse was their self-righteous vanity, their pride, their hypocrisy, the coldness that blinded them from the fact that they needed a Messiah at all. And for us, if we're bringing it home to us today, if we try and keep out evil by just trying to be good it won't deal with where the fundamental problem lies, which is in our hearts. We can try and clean ourselves up. We can do good works. We can give to charity and help people and all sorts of wonderful things. Give shoe shoeboxes. They're, they're good things to do. But there's a great danger because if you think that that is what makes you right with God and you're thinking that's what's cleaning you up, you end up becoming far worse than you perhaps even were before. In the Gospel, the people that responded to Jesus best were not the ones who had cleaned themselves up. The ones that responded to Jesus best were the tax collectors who everyone hated, were the sinners who everyone looked down on. They responded to Jesus, and the religious leaders who were very good and respected and would have given loads of shoeboxes and all sorts of other things, well, they were the ones that put Jesus on the cross. There's great danger in thinking that you're good because it blinds you from the need of Jesus to save you from sin. And that blindness, well, that's, in the, in the words of this power, really seven times worse than you were even before. The sign of Jonah is not only a sign that says Jesus is the Messiah. The sign of Jonah is also a sign that we need a Messiah. We need to be saved from our sins because our sins condemn us to hell. And there is no amount of good work that we can do to clean ourselves up. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Which is why Jesus came. To die for us in our place. And rejecting the sign and saying, that's not true or I want another sign. Well, it's deadly. But there's a better way. Jesus is the Messiah who doesn't just clean us up on the outside, but he's the Messiah that gives us a new heart. That means that the house is not empty when the enemy comes for us, it's filled with something else, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit enables us to live for God and gradually over time makes us more and more like Jesus. The house of a Christian, the house being our body, is, is not empty. It's not being cleaned up by ourselves by trying to be good, it's being cleansed by Jesus And has been entered in by the Holy Spirit of God himself. So that if the enemy does come and knock on our door, well, the Holy Spirit can answer it and say, go away, this house is occupied. And we can't do that work on our own. It's a work of God and so we need to trust him to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit as we ask him for it. But there's an important application here for Christians as well. We need to be striving to be godly whilst asking and trusting God to make us so. Because this illustration, this this parable that Jesus gives, is also for those who make professions of faith and say, I believe, and they look the part for a while, but their heart has not really been changed. If that's you, where you are professing Christ, and then you kind of, you, you live for him for a while, but then you start to, 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 to put your foot off the pedal and start to, to go away, well according to this parable, you can end up worse than you were even before. Now, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 has a warning for us in this regard. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and as they've become, made professions of faith, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Peter's saying the same lesson as Jesus here. If you, if you, if you, if you, if, if you make that profession, if you start following Jesus and then you go away from Jesus and you decide, I'm not going to do this anymore you can end up in a worse place than you started with and more blind and more hard and it's a terrible thing. Well, how do we stop that from happening? The answer is we pray, Lord, help me. The only way we keep going is by God uh, enabling us and we keep going. We get up each day and we say, today is a new day, I'm going to follow Jesus today. We keep going in prayer and in faith. All the way to glory. And so the appeal that's being made really in this passage to the to the Pharisees, but really to all of us, is to respond in the right way to the sign of Jonah. To respond to the fact that he is risen from the dead. I mean, isn't it amazing that God has given us the sign at all? I mean, isn't it amazing that he has come? And he has taken our place, and that he has risen from the dead. I mean, by rights, we should be left on our own. We should be just condemned to hell. That's what we deserve, isn't it? But he came. And he didn't just come, he showed us who he is. And he died for sinners on the cross when he was perfect. He did all that by his amazing grace. He could have left us in our sins. But he died and rose again. And we don't need any more signs. We don't need anything else to show us that Jesus is Lord. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we read what Jesus here was pointing forward to. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You know, when they say there, come and see the place where he lay, the, the women there were being pointed to a tomb that had no one in it. And for us, that tomb is still empty. And so when we're wondering Is this even real? The angels say to us, come, see the place where he lay. He's not there now, he's risen. And as we remember that over and over and over again, let us respond like the people of Nineveh in repentance and like the Queen of the South in amazement at our great and awesome God who has done that for us, for our sins. Let's praise him. We're going to stand and just rejoice in the fact that Christ is risen from the dead. We're going to sing, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed.